Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 50 through 59, 56, pardon me. I remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, the city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us an understanding of that word. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would work so in your word that we would come to a greater love for Christ this morning and a greater understanding of his internment in the grave. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest fears that we have is death, uh, to die. And much of, many of the decisions that we make about death or about our lives are, are keyed up in the idea of death. Last night as I was driving home very carefully, I was driving very carefully and very much aware of my surroundings. One, because I'm concerned to not get a ticket. But more than that, I don't want to die. I want to be with the Lord, but like Paul, it is better to be with the Lord. Uh, and nonetheless, I don't want to die physically because of the fear of what death involves. And I don't want to leave this life prematurely without my wife and children being cared for. Surely the Lord can take care of my children. But the Lord has still a life of service and a ministry for me until that time when he is pleased to take me home. But we make a lot of decisions based upon the idea of death and about our, our fear of death. We will not take things that we know will, we will not eat food that we know will, will in some way harm our bodies. We will not take medicines that we think will, will shorten the amount of years that we have to live. We are concerned about death. We make decisions to live and we do it consistently in many, many, many ways. Oftentimes, commercials we hear on the television are all about the idea that if you partake of this one thing or you practice this policy, if you go to the doctors and they'll tell you, you can lengthen your life five to ten years if you'll make this choice to do X. Well, death is a significant fear for human beings. And so what do we do with that fear, that fear of death, that concern about death? Will it hurt? How will it feel? What, what will happen immediately after my death? What will it feel like to, to see the life in my body ebb away and flow out of me? Where will I be? Will my loved ones hear from me first before I die? We have many questions surrounding death, and we are concerned, and we are deeply concerned about death. Sometimes we think about it and before we go to bed at night. Sometimes it's the first thought in our mornings as we awaken. Other times we think, when we are alone, we begin to think about death. Some of us think about death quite a bit. So 
if this is our greatest fear, what do we make of death? And how can we enter into, and who has entered into this idea of death? And who can empathize with us in our struggle and suffering over death? Well, the Lord Jesus can. And he can because he not only died, but his body went to the grave. Benet Brown, Dr. Benet Brown, identifies this idea of empathy. And empathy, she says, drives connection. Being able to empathize with another person drives a connection that is established between ourselves. And it means feeling with people. To feel with people. In other words, someone is feeling something deeply. They've taken something very, very hard, or they're they're deeply, deeply wounded, and or uh, they're ecstatic and filled with joy. And to feel with people is to enter into empathy. It's, she says, a sacred space where someone cries out from the bottom of that empty space, hey, someone help me down here. I'm lost and I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. But then empathy is when someone comes along, looks down into that pit and says, hey, I know what it's like down there and you're not alone and goes down into the pit with the person who is in that pit with them. Empathy, she says, is a choice. In order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling that you're feeling. And you don't do it when you say you're not you're not empathizing, you're not connecting emotionally You're not connecting with that person and their feelings, their deep feelings, when you're repeating your story of what you've struggled with, too. You're frankly talking about your own need. You're not talking about theirs. The moment we start talking about what you experienced, you're no longer listening to and hearing what they're experiencing. That's not empathy. Empathy is going down into that hole with them and feeling what they feel. It's not so important about what you say, as long as you don't say, I, I, I know exactly what you're feeling and this is how I addressed it. Now you're fixing the problem. You're not empathizing. Or now perhaps you're, you're bragging about what you've endured. Oh, you think your story was bad. Let me tell you about mine. Oh, I really went through the worst possible scenario. It was much worse than yours. You should feel better about this. Whenever you've got to say you should or I you're not empathizing any longer. She says, really, what you need to say is, I hear what you've said, and I don't even really know what to say. I think that's helpful advice. That's that's good listening. That's good empathy. I'm overwhelmed with how you feel. I, I'm, 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 I'm burdened. I'm saddened in your sadness. Isn't that what Scripture says? To, to weep with those who weep? To rejoice with those who rejoice? That's empathy. And I'm telling you, in our fear of death, in a long sort of roundabout way, our fear of death, what we need most is real, tangible empathy. Who can empathize with us in our fear of death, in our concerns over death, in our desire not to die, although we desire to be with the Lord? Jesus, Jesus can empathize with us because he entered into death and his body was interned in the grave. No other friend, no other person in this world can in any way identify with you in exactly the same way and say, I experienced death. And he does more than that. We'll talk about that as we go along. But Jesus can say, I felt the depths of what you feel, and I too felt it. 
Jesus goes even further and says, I've fixed it. Not just with words, not just with his own experience, but he has fixed truly the sting of death so much so that he has removed it, such that death is something we no longer fear as God's people. Well, the empathy of Christ is very much before us in the passage here this morning, and it's empathy born out of experience. Joseph of Arimathea is is an individual who is a member of the Sanhedrin. He is identified within the text as one who who has said no. When the Sanhedrin decided and the rulers of Israel decided, well, we must put him to death. Have you heard as Caiaphas stands Ananias, Ananias, or Aeneas, stand before the rest of the group of the rulers of Israel and the elders, and they say, surely you have heard this man, he is guilty, for he has compared himself heretically as being the very God of very God. Joseph was not willing to do this. Luke tells us that, in fact, He had not consented to their plan and their action of deciding to kill Christ and of sending the Roman authorities to imprison him and then further to seek his death through the Roman authorities. And so what he does is he goes to, because he has entrance to Pilate, because he is one of the rulers, a significant ruler apparently, because he is able to go to Pilate directly and to ask for the body of Jesus. Well, this is love and of sacrifice because it involves personal wealth. Seventy-five pounds, we are told within the scriptures, of fragrant spices in preparation for the body of, uh, uh, for burial. He and Nicodemus together in the accounts in Matthew chapter 27 and Mark chapter 14 and 15, John chapter 18, 19. But here Luke tells us about Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus has gone with him, but Joseph of Arimathea, this is, this is his grave. This is, this is what he has sought permission from Pilate to do. Burial supplies, the shroud, the grave itself, which was an expense. Thousands of those, of those graves have been found archaeologically dug out. They are, they are real. The location of where it is said uh, there on the uh, one of the sides on the walls below Jerusalem, just below, outside of the, the walls. He has much more to lose here, possibly public uh, credibility and authority by publicly identifying himself as a disciple, as well as the sacrifice of his Sabbath and Passover privileges as he handles physically this dead body and prepares it for burial. All of that, he would miss out on this day of preparation. Well, on, on, on Passover privileges, because he is involved in touching the corpse of a dead person on the day of, pre- of preparation. In the other Gospels, each each record, all of them, that Joseph of Arimathea buried Jesus's body in the grave. And it is important for them. It, it, it shows us something of the importance that Scripture places on the burial of the Savior. If all four Gospels record, and they do in the passages I've just recounted to you a moment ago, then in fact it is absolutely vital that we understand that Jesus, who died on the cross, his body was placed in the grave. Now you would say, well, 
Yes, I understand that to be true. Why would you hand me this home? Why would the Gospels consider it to be so important? Because there are many since the time of the Apostles who denied that Jesus actually died. Who denied that Jesus was actually buried because of the empty tomb. And we know, as Matthew has recorded for us, that the, 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 the Roman guards who were there around uh, the, the grave where it was sealed were paid by the Jewish authorities to, in fact, suggest an alternative that the disciples had taken his body. And so Scripture takes very carefully account of the fact that Jesus died and his body was placed in the grave. There is more and there is greater significance here to this as well. But those Gospels, each of them tell us a little bit more about Joseph of Arimathea. He's a respected member of the council. He's looking for the kingdom of God. He was courageous. Luke says he's a good and righteous man. Matthew says he was a believer, a follower of Jesus. He's perhaps the only one who said no. I I don't know. I wasn't there. But perhaps he and Nicodemus are the only ones who have said no. I vote in the negative. Nay. We will not pursue this man and and put him in prison and we will not seek to kill him and bring him before the Roman authorities. And this trial is unjust. There's an exorbitant cost uh, that Joseph must pay in his love for Jesus. It, It could have cost him his life, but he was a man with a great heart for Jesus. But there was something greater here, as we've read earlier in the in the Sunday service, in the Old Testament scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. He, he was <clears throat> his grave. He died. Uh, he was crucified amongst criminals. But his grave was in a rich man's grave. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. In dying the death of a criminal, he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. This newly hewn tomb in which no other body had been laid. Incorruptible. There he was placed. And Joseph, it, it seems to me, also helps us in this passage when he says, as he goes to Pilate, <clears throat> he goes to Pilate and he asks for what? Well, the body of Jesus. We need to know here in this passage that this is the the soma, the carcass, the corpse, the the body, the patoma, the the specific rather than the neutral idea of it. It is his body, his corpse. It's gender specific. It's his body. Joseph is not just asking for any old body. He is asking for the body of Jesus who has died. And so Pilate grants it to him and enables him to do it. And he goes, he wraps his body in a linen cloth, laid him in a tomb, cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. And it was the preparation day when he would be ceremonially unclean for having done what he just did. He could not participate fully in the Passover And the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the godly women had followed. They had seen where Jesus' body was. And they were prepared to even prepare his body further for that burial in the offering of uh, spices and perfumes that would be granted to that body and uh, poured out and lathered uh, and and making him fragrant and uh, that much more bodily prepared for death. 
or for internment in the grave. Abraham Kuyper once said, Christ would not be a complete savior for us if he had not descended into the grave. I agree entirely with that sentiment, not the least of which is found in Hebrews chapter 2. Later on in our passage, we'll recount that passage. But there are, I think, five things that we learn from the death and the interment of the body of Christ in the grave. The first of which is simply this. Truth is established. Jesus died bodily, and his body spent parts of three days in the grave. We recounted earlier in the Apostles' Creed uh, that he was uh, that he lived, he died, he was buried, and that's what we recount as an essential tenet of the Christian faith. There's a radical declaration here in Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea's decision to go and to brave, uh, bravely ask for the life or the body of Jesus, and Pilate granting that to him unwittingly identifies that there was a true body in the grave. Just the very fact that he grants permission to Joseph says that historically there is a body over which permission must be granted to Joseph to receive. In other words, if there is no body, if he merely swooned, if this was all faked, then Pilate would be able to say, ah, go away. He couldn't say, yes, you may go and get the body. But the very fact that he goes and gets the body, but was granted permission from Pilate, demonstrates with clarity that Jesus was buried and his body was in that grave. And Pilate knew of its location and he granted permission for him to go and get it. And so this passage secures the truth against the fraud of those who would say that he was not buried God's providence has provided fulfillment of the word, but also prophecy of the declared witness of this, these two men, Pilate, Pilate and Joseph. Theories abound even in our present day about the means of undermining the death and resurrection. Jesus didn't really die. Jesus, his disciples took his body. The reality of his death leads to the greater conclusion that in fact he died. His body was laid in the grave. Pilate, it was necessary for Pilate to grant permission. Joseph asked for permission, took that body and buried it. And because that is true, so also is it true that he truly rose from the dead. He didn't just simply get up from the the coffin where people and medical doctors of his day had taken his pulse checking their watches, and they simply misread. Jesus truly died, and he truly rose again. Secondly, what we learn from this passage is that Christ has most dramatically addressed our greatest need and fear over death with true empathy and extraordinary connection through his death and bodily interment in the grave. Precisely this, in, 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 in some, because Jesus' body was in the grave, he willingly went to the grave. You remember he said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up and I can take it back up as I please. But for the space of three days, he was willing that his body would lay in the grave. It was part of the humiliation of our Savior under which he must undergo. 
His humiliation for our exaltation. His humiliation in the grave. His body under the earth. So that we might be delivered from the pain of death. Through Him removing the sting of death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The human condition is such that we fear death. If you wonder about this, just go look online, how can I cheat death? Go look online and see, how can I prolong my years? People are busy about all various means trying to escape death. Cryogenic freezing of one's brain and body. This fixation on legacies. All the very get get well and 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 and, and have continuing health and peace. If we just partake of this product, people have been saying that for hundreds of years, thousands at, the, at this point. And yet no one could truly empathize with us to the degree to which Jesus did. Jesus Christ entered death as your representative and mine and as our advocate so that we would be freed from the sting of death. You see, in that hole where we are with our fear of death, I, I look at death, there's so much about it that I do not know. I don't understand what's on the other side. I believe, and yet I fear. I fear the pain that it will come one day. I fear the ebb and flow of life. I fear seeing and knowing that I am dying. I fear leaving behind my loved ones. I fear the moments of it, the circumstances of it. I want it to be in my way so that I can say goodbye properly. I'm afraid of death. And Jesus hears all of that, enters down into that hole with us and says, I too have experienced death. And I understand your fears. And so this is what I've done. I won't just empathize with your feelings and say, I feel what you feel. He does that. He has been struck with our sympathies so that we, with our weaknesses, so that he can be our sympathetic high priest. But he goes further than that. Dear one, he says to us, I have removed the sting of death. He says to us as he sits beside us in the dark, in all the quandary facing us in death, and the fear of what one day will lead ultimately to our entrance into glory, we fear this side of all of that. As much as we long for glory, we long to be with the Lord, we still fear There's so much we don't know about death. Jesus enters into that fear and says, Be not afraid. I have entered death and I have broken Satan's hold of it and I have taken away from him the power. I have the keys of life and death. I have the keys, he says. And so that clarifies to us that the timing of our death will be precisely perfectly in accord with his will. It tells us that the circumstances of our death will be perfectly in coinciding with his will. They will be carried out according to what our heavenly father knows is best for us. 
He knows all of our concerns and fears surrounding death, and he will provide. In truth, nothing can touch you. Nothing can take away a day or a second of your life unless it is the will of your Father in heaven. And if it is the will of God that I die, who can break that? Who can change that? Hasn't the psalmist said, who can add to their life? None of us can add a single moment to our lives. And yet in our fear of death, we we think that we are alone, but Jesus, Jesus is there with the believer saying, I have broken the power of death. You need fear it no more. And more than that, I will be with you. There's never a moment when you're dying and the silver cord is being snapped and broken and your soul is ascending to God, Jesus will be with you every step of the way. I've seen God's people die and there is often something extraordinary. I see a sense of peace in each and every one They knew where they were going. And they knew that the Lord was with them. Their struggle was with their own flesh and the fear of what it means and how it would take place and the unknown. But they believed and they trusted in Jesus Christ, who is our representative and our advocate, who has gone down deep, who has gone down deep into human suffering. And he has removed that which causes us, the sting anyway, of that which causes us our most grief and trouble. If empathy, according to Miss Benet Brown, is that I must enter into, in order to connect with you, I have to connect with you in something in myself that knows the feeling that you're feeling and thus make myself vulnerable, Christ has done that. There's nothing you'll experience in this life, nor in death that you can say Jesus never knew what it was like to be like this. Jesus never knew what it was to suffer in the way that I've suffered. God help us, may we never say that. But sometimes we think it. He doesn't know what I'm suffering with. He doesn't know what I'm feeling. Yes, he has gone into the deepest, deepest depths of human suffering. He has gone to death itself, And he has broken the power of death. He has set you free from sin and misery. And he has even broken the boundary of death itself, such that when you die, you will be with the Lord. The best thing that a human being can say is, I can see how you feel. I feel grief. In the same way that you're feeling grief right now. Your suffering is horrible. It's painful. And I'm so saddened. For many of us, in a moment of suffering, that's all we need to hear. That will help us so much. But Jesus doesn't do just that. He says all of those things. But he says what you fear and what you dread and what's causing you so much pain. I have removed the sting of it. 
I have taken it in myself such that when you die and you pass from this life, you will be with me. And what used to cause you fear need no longer cause you fear, for to depart from this world 